You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning. Um, over the last few weeks, as we've been here in Ephesians, um, in Ephesians 4, Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And last week we took note of the fact that this is not something new Paul has said. Um, there's a pattern in the scriptures. In Colossians, um, Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. So there's this rhythm of something that Paul keeps repeating throughout his letters. And for Paul to repeatedly say this in letters to different churches at different times, um, this implies that those Christians, and it implies that we as well, at one point evidently were walking the wrong way. Walk this way. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Evidently, we weren't walking that way at first. There's now supposed to be this new way that we're walking, a different way, a better way. Now, what I'm about to say, you could, you could say, well, hey, thanks for the lesson there, buddy. Uh, that's kind of simple, but we often confuse and mess up the simple. Um, if I begin walking another way, a better way, um, then this means I can no longer walk the way that I did before. Uh, I begin walking this way. I can't walk this way and that way at the same time. But you know what? As Christians, we somehow manage to think at times that we can. We somehow manage to think I can follow Christ, yet keep going the way of the world. And that's often why our life winds up in turmoil. But now let me go back to the implication that evidently at some point we were walking the wrong way. When we say that, what are we implying? Like I was walking the wrong way characteristically? Like, you know, I used to walk like this and somebody came along and said, Hey, Brian, I don't know if you've seen, but most of us, we walk this way. Oh, okay. And so I got the method right. Or are we talking about the wrong way, like directionally? Like, I used to go this way. I was turned around. No, no, that's the way I should walk this way. Is it functional, characteristically, or is it directional? Well, as most of you are probably maybe thinking right now, could it be both? Maybe quite possibly it was both. I think maybe it was. In, in order... For the church to find spiritual unity, we must be striving toward spiritual maturity. Two weeks ago, Chad preached on that spiritual unity. Last week, we talked about the spiritual maturity. But now let me say this. Let me add to that this morning. In order for me and for you to even begin striving toward that spiritual maturity, I've got to first understand and embrace my own spiritual identity. I need to begin to understand and embrace 
who I am now in Jesus Christ. And who we are in Christ, our spiritual identity, causes us to walk a different way. And this morning, as we continue in Ephesians 4, you're going to see what Paul says about this different way to walk. So look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. Paul writes, Now I I say, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Stop for a second. And, and make sure you know, Paul is not speaking here um, when he says the Gentiles. He's not talking about ethnically. He's talking about morally. He's talking about the people who are still Gentile in their, their mind and their thinking, that they are separated from God. You can't keep going on that way, walking in the futility of your minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus... To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so Paul says if we've come to know Jesus, we can no longer walk this way. And he begins to go through what that looks like. How is it that we can no longer walk? Well, he says that you and I can no longer walk corrupted in our thinking. We can't go on thinking like we did before we knew Jesus, before the Holy Spirit came and and consumed us. We can no longer walk darkened in our understanding. So if you've known Jesus for 10 years, yet you still only know Jesus like you did from 10 years ago, and you have not grown in your understanding of who he is and what he's done and what he requires of you and desires for you, you may be going along darkened in your understanding. You can't walk that way anymore. We can no longer walk alienated from the ways of God. We can no longer walk in ignorance to the things that harden our hearts. Paul keeps going. We can no longer walk in sensuality. We can't walk in greed. We cannot keep going on in lust. We can't keep walking in the flesh. To put it quite simply, Paul says, you can't keep walking in sin. So let's boil it down to this truth. We cannot follow Jesus and go on deliberately, knowingly walking in sin. Doesn't work. Think about the idiocy, the preposterousness of the idea that Jesus would have called Andrew and Peter, James and John, come follow me. And they dropped their nets, they left everything, and they followed him. And immediately, you know, Matthew in his gospel told us that Jesus led them right down this alley to all the things that would entice them into sin. We would read that and go, that doesn't sound like Jesus. 
okay, so if I'm following Jesus, that means I can't go on knowingly, deliberately walking in the things that Jesus died and rose from the dead to save me from. It doesn't work. That said, it's imperative to understand our sins are not the problem, they're the result. They're the effect, if you will. So, like, in other words, if I leave here today and I go home and I get really, really mad about something in my house and I start letting really, really harsh words fly out of my mouth and I get angry, that's not really the problem. If you leave here today and you start being enticed to lust and the Spirit's saying, don't look there, don't go there, and you, well, but I'm going to go anyways. Okay, the lust is not the problem. The, the lust, the anger, they are the results, the effects of the problem. The problem is that I still have a mind and a heart that are set against God. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he begins in chapter 1 by saying that there are these people who claim to know God... Like they mentally assent to, oh yeah, we know who God is and, and, and we're all about that. Yet they don't submit to him and obey him and surrender to him. And Paul says that there's great conflict with this. He says that that's the life of the old man. That's the depraved heart that remains set against God. So, how do we combat? How do we walk away from that depraved heart? Well, you see in verse 22 that Paul says, when we met Jesus, we were to put off the old self. Imagine that you have on this trench coat that weighs a thousand pounds and you meet Jesus and you're like, and he says, I'm here to take that trench coat. Praise the Lord. Get it off me. And he puts this new lightweight windbreaker, rain repellent thing on you. This is fantastic. Put off the old self that has weighed you down. All right. And then he says, you are now through the renewing of the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We walk a different way. Not only does our walk look different, it's moving in a different direction. Now, side note, none of this matters. None of this applies to you if you have not heard Jesus Christ calling you out of darkness and you come to the conclusion through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, I am a sinner My heart is set against God. I cannot do anything to save myself. I need a Savior. You realize Jesus is that Savior. You answer that call to come out of darkness, and he saves you. If you haven't arrived there yet, that's step one. But if you have, if that has happened to you, then Paul says that you have a new identity in Christ. And when you live in that identity, when you live as that person, you begin to walk differently. Here's what it looks like. Check it out. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. 
Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So Paul exposes the former behaviors... And then he moves on to shedding light on the new behavior or the new character that we're to have. Let's kind of walk through this and see what he says. Verse 25, how does Paul start? He says that at one point, you and I were cozying up with something other than the truth. Now, maybe we weren't, you know, just pathological liars that left our house every day with a whole plan of lies we were going to tell. But at points in our day, we would settle for either buying or selling something other than the truth. And Paul says, that can't be you anymore. Put on the truth. You are now clothed in truth. That's you. Zechariah, one of the last books of the Old Testament. If you look in Zechariah chapter 8, in verse 16, the Lord says, these are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. And he goes on and says, Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. We are called to speak truth and we're called to speak truth to one another. And the reason for this is that when we tell the truth, when we represent the truth, when we speak the truth, we are imitating God. You remember Jesus said, I am, not I like speak it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus went on to say, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We are people of truth. That's how we're to walk. Verse 26, Paul says, don't allow anger to consume you or define you. Now, I want you to take note of what Paul does not say here. Paul doesn't say, don't ever get angry. He doesn't say that. In fact, he says, if we're being honest, be angry and do not sin. Why does he say this? That's kind of dangerous for some of us, isn't it? Well, Paul is talking about righteous indignation. And, and I think it's important because we think maybe at times we have righteous indignation and that's not what we have. See, righteous indignation is a holy anger stirred from the Spirit of God against sin. Okay, if your neighbor accidentally sprayed weed killer on your weeds, God bless him, and, and burned some of your grass, what you felt, that wasn't righteous indignation. That was anger. Okay? 
righteous indignation is something that, yes, we should feel. There are times as God's people, we should be angry when we see injustice and corruption and evil and sin taking effect in the world around us. But make no mistake, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about unrighteous indignation. That's why he follows up verse 26 in verse 31 by associating anger with wrath. This anger that Paul's talking about here actually leads us away from God. It's self-centered, it's defensive, it's out of control, and it leads to sin. And Paul says, do not allow that anger to fester. And, and he wasn't speaking necessarily like literally, legalistically, do not let the sun go down. Like sun is already set, so you're in trouble now. Lightning is going to strike. No, what Paul is saying is that when you and I experience this kind of anger, which leads to sin, it will probably cause unrest in our souls. So don't put your head on the pillow and think you can sleep through that and bury it. Because when you do, when you do that, you give bitterness and more anger the opportunity to take root. Folks, there are times when, and, and, and for me, if I'm being honest with you, this happens most of all in my home with the child who's just like myself. I have to walk out of the room and say, Lord, help me. You haven't called me here to punish. You've called me here to discipline. And I can't do that in my anger. Sometimes you and I have got to be smart enough to call like, time out. I got to go sit in my car and just breathe. And let the Spirit of God speak to my soul. Seek forgiveness, reconciliation, restoration. Seek them now. Don't stay in your anger. Verse 28. Paul says, replace stealing with working and giving. Replace stealing with working and giving. This is not just a behavioral thing for Paul. It's an ethical thing as well. Paul is not just saying, stop the action of stealing. I want you to stop thinking like a thief. In talking about this exact scripture, John Piper said, you have three options. You can steal and get for yourself. All right, there's option one. I can go out and steal or take what I think I need or want. Option two, you can work in order to get for yourself. So option two is obviously better than option one because I've now begun actually working for what I need uh, rather than taking it from someone else. But then there's option three, that you and I can work in order to get so that we are now able to give. And you've probably keyed in on the fact that Paul is talking about the latter. Go, go back in and look at what Paul says here in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Is there a better example anywhere? I mean, the Bible, but anywhere of this, better than Zacchaeus. 
Because you think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he didn't know God. He was a thief. He was a, he was a tax collector. And everybody hated him. Well, look in Luke 19 at what happens when, when Zacchaeus meets Jesus. It says in verse 8 that Zacchaeus stands up before the Lord and he says, Behold, Lord, if the half of my goods I give to the poor, I'm going to take half of what I have and give it to the, the poor, Lord, those who need it. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it to him fourfold. Zacchaeus's whole approach to life and work were transformed when he met Jesus. Look at what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians that affirms this. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, Even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Woo! For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. You're not taking care of your business. You're all up in everybody else's. That's what happens when you sit around and have nothing to do for too long. Verse 12. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Is Paul saying here that if you can't find a job, well, sorry, you just shouldn't get to eat? No, that's not what he's saying. When my father had a traumatic brain injury, when he got better, he still could not go back to work. In fact, my pastor, Dr. Gary Smith, sat down with my parents and said, Jerry, don't come back to work on the payroll because the instant that you do and then you discover that you can't do this anymore, you can't go back to disability once you said, thanks, I don't want it anymore. So did that mean that my dad said, well, great, I'll just take my disability check and watch Sports Center, sit around, have a good time? No, it did not. In fact, my parents became more active in ministry at that point than before my dad's accident. There are going to be times when you can't work. There are going to be times when you can't find a job. What Paul is saying here is when you purposely don't work, when you sit on your rear end because you just think somebody else will take care of this and at the same time, you just expect to be taken care of, you're a thief. Let me put it to you in, in Brian's terms. Paul says, you want to be a Christ follower and a freeloader? Sorry, doesn't work. Get up and do something and don't just do it for yourself. Do it so that you might be a blessing to others. Verse 29, replace corrupting talk with words that build up and edify. This word that Paul uses, corrupting, some of you may have a translation that uses the word foul. It's the same word. And it's the word that you and I would use if we were talking about rotten fruit, rotten eggs, rotten fish. Have you ever had any encounters or experience with rotten food before? Just take a moment, all right, right now, and just think back on that and breathe the whole thing in, you know, the sights, the sounds. I remember coming back from vacation one time, and there was a rotten apple, I believe, in our refrigerator. 
That's bad news, folks. You want to get that sucker into a new county. Not just for how nasty it looks, but it stinks up the whole refrigerator. One time we were at my mother-in-law's and some of our friends were with us. And our friend Allie found a, a baby shark, maybe this long, on the beach. What, wasn't alive any longer. So, hey, what a souvenir, right? So we bring it back to uh, Mimi's house. And Allie leaves it out in the driveway, you know, only 100 degrees in the sun in Charleston, and it bakes all day. And the next morning, we always go out on Mimi's porch to eat breakfast. (laughs) Not today. We're out there like, what in the world? Like, it's not trash day? What in the Sam Hill is that? Bing! Finally, we figure it out. That's what Paul says our words are like when they are not building up and edifying. He doesn't just say here, hey, don't talk like a foul-mouthed sailor. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Let it be building up others. If our words aren't building up, and as Paul says here, if they're not giving grace to those who hear them, we should prayerfully and carefully examine and scrutinize them. But now here's the bigger deal about this one. Corrupt talk reveals a corrupt heart. In Matthew chapter 12, you should be able to remember this verse, friends, because it's Matthew 12, 34. Matthew 1, 2, 3, 4. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he basically says to them, how can anything come out of you but evil? Because that's what you are in your hearts. And Jesus goes on to say, it is out of the abundance or it is out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And this is why Paul is saying, man, as a follower of Jesus Christ, the words coming out of our mouth ought to be building up, edifying those around us. Verse 31. Paul says, replace bitterness with kindness and forgiveness. Now here's the kicker on this one. We are not just to forgive because Christ forgave us. We are supposed to forgive because Christ forgave us, but we're not just supposed to forgive because Christ forgave us. We're supposed to forgive as Christ forgave us, like he forgives. And remember, how does Jesus forgive? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. What were they doing? Well, they were beating him, stabbing him, mocking him, spitting on him, crucifying him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When's the last time I said that? I'm not just supposed to forgive because Jesus forgave me. I'm supposed to forgive as Jesus forgave me. We avoid this. We, we kind of push it away. And, and we do it for a couple of reasons. One is that this requires us to be broken and vulnerable. You know, if I, if, if I in my heart extend forgiveness to someone, 
That means the first thing is I have to admit that I was broken, that I was hurt, that I was wounded, whatever it may be. And we don't want to do that. We like to be tough. Another reason that we do it is because we go on deceiving ourselves into believing that we're entitled. And we talked about this heavy duty back in August. But we somehow allow ourselves, we deceive ourselves into staying in this state of believing that we need restitution, not reconciliation. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, as my followers, you don't get to do the restitution part. You just get to seek the reconciliation. My father will take care of the restitution. But we go on and we go on and we go on and we don't realize that that bitterness is eating away our soul. I have to be honest with you that one of the most like painful things in my life right now is watching somebody that I know and care about, not just as a pastor, but as their friend, deceiving themselves into believing that they're right and that restitution is their business and bitterness is literally eating this person inside out. And the worst part is, is that when that's you or that's me, I think that I'm walking around in my new identity, putting on the new self and I'm walking around and everybody else knows you're walking around in your grave clothes and it stinks. Bitterness is grave clothes. When you and I allow ourselves to buy into bitterness, to hold on to bitterness, it is if we have walked back to the tomb we've been resurrected from and said, could I just get back in there for a while? It was a little bit It was comfortable. Those filthy rags that I was wrapped in, if you could just bring those back, that'd be great. Bitterness is grave clothes. Bitterness enslaves us to death. But forgiveness, forgiveness, man, what does that do? Forgiveness liberates us and sets us free. When you have forgiven somebody, you can get around other people and they don't even know that you've forgiven somebody, but there's something that's beaming and exuding out of your life. I'll tell you what it is, is that you've said, nope, I don't want the old man anymore. I want Jesus. It's Jesus that's exuding out of you. I don't know if you noticed, but I I skipped over something. Verse 30, Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, why not? Well, in verse 18, Paul said that the Gentiles, those who didn't know God, were darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. You see, what happens when I grieve the Holy Spirit, what that means is, is that as a child of God, the Holy Spirit is saying, Brian, don't walk there. Brian, don't go there. Brian, don't say that. And somehow in my flesh, I convince myself, eh, I'm going. I'm doing, I'm saying. To grieve the Holy Spirit, Jesus, this is living contrary to the direction, to the conviction of the one who has sealed our hearts. 
The Spirit keeps directing me, walk in a new way. And I say, no, I'm going to go back this way. The Spirit keeps offering me these new clothes. And I keep saying, nope, filthy rags are great. And the more and more and more that I grieve the Holy Spirit, the more and more I say, no, I don't really want to go that way. I want to go this way. What's happening is I'm hardening my heart toward God. But Paul says, don't do that. Listen to the Spirit. If you go back to Galatians, where we were earlier this year, in Galatians 5.16, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. There's that word again. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Spirit set against the flesh. The flesh is set against the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. So, here we are. God has called you out of darkness and into light. Jesus says, come follow me. And maybe you have said, I want to follow you, Jesus. I I, I come. Jesus has brought you from slave to free, from life to death. Your sin has been forgiven. You have been saved by God through faith, saved by his grace. And now, Paul tells us that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand. Before we even knew him, he prepared these good works for us that we should walk in them. Here's that word again. Walk, walk, walk. Paul must have walked everywhere. He did actually. Walk by the Spirit. How do I do this? How how does this work? How do I put on the new self? How do I put on these new emotions and attitudes and, and actions? How do I put these things into practice? Friends, I believe that the key to all of this is found in verse 23. See, in verse 22, Paul says, Put off the old self. Take off the the old man. And he walks us straight up to the, the, the edge where the chasm begins between the old self and then over there is the new self. But there's this chasm, this gap. How do I get there, Paul? He says to put off the old self, which is deceitful and corrupt through and through. In verse 23, look at what he says. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds so that you might be able to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the connection between putting off the old self, putting on the new self. To put on the new self, you and I, we must be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Renewed in the spirit of our mind. That's the bridge. That's the key. And this is not something that Paul is like just now saying, and it's not something that he's not going to say again. Let me give you an example. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're about to be done here. Hang with me. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16, Paul says, we do not lose heart. He already said that in verse 1. We do not lose heart. Here he repeats himself. So we do not lose heart. Why don't you lose heart, Paul? Why do you like hang in there? Well, 
though our outer self is wasting away, anybody's outer self wasting away? Can I get an amen? Absolutely it is. If you're over 30 and you don't think yours is wasting away, you're deceiving yourself. It's wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. These light momentary afflictions and and troubles that we walk through, they're preparing an eternal weight of glory for us. Verse 18, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Paul says we are renewed in the spirit of our minds because we don't lose heart because we fix our minds, our eyes, our thoughts on the eternal. Colossians chapter 2 verse 3, Paul says, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. For your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind on things above, fix your eyes on Christ. Here in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1, when he's praying for the Ephesians, and he prays that God would enlighten the eyes of their hearts, what's he praying? He's praying that they would renew their minds with the truth of God's power and his promises. So understand this. You and I, how do I put off the old self, put on the new self? How is it that I walk in the spirit? There is one way and one way only. It is through the spirit of God, taking the word of God and bringing it to life in you. So deceive yourself no longer in believing that you can walk this life as Christ did if his word is not part of your life. It will not work. It won't work. But praise God, it's right here. It's accessible to you and me that every day of our life, we can be consumed by it. We can bathe in it. It can shower over us. It lays the foundation for who we are and how we walk, how we think, how we act, how we speak. Let me settle down and close with this. When your mind is filled with the love of Christ, when you and I, our minds, our hearts, our lives are filled with all the fullness of God, as Paul says, then the spirit of our mind is renewed and freed from deceit. And not just deceit of the enemy and deceit of the world, but the deceit that your emotions and my feelings like to bring and knock on my door with as well. I'm freed from that. And out of that renewed mind, comes renewed attitudes and thoughts and emotions and practices that clothe you in righteousness and holiness. You begin walking a different way. How is it that I begin walking a different way? Well, it's because you're a new person. You've been brought from death to life. And this new person that you become is the creation of God himself, working through his spirit and his word to transform who you are, the way you live, and the direction of your life. So my prayer for you, my prayer for me this morning, my prayer for us, may we be renewed in the spirit of our minds today, transformed by God's power through his spirit and his word, led to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is who we are in Christ. This is our spiritual identity. May we own that and walk in it. Let's pray.
Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just have the freedom to speak to us in this moment. Lord, we pray that because of who you are and because of what you've done, because of your love for us, we would be overwhelmed with a desire, with a passion to walk by the Spirit, to put on the new self, Lord, give us the humility um, to lean on one another. Give us the courage give us the brokenness If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, in just a moment, we're going to respond to God. Um, We want to just invite you. Some of our leaders are going to be in the back at the tables. They'll be there while we're singing. They'll be there for a few minutes after we're through. If you don't know Jesus Christ, and this morning you sense, you sense the Lord calling you and drawing you I just encourage you to go and talk to one of them let them share with you what it means to put your faith and trust in him Lord in these moments as your people may our song may our words honor and glorify you, but more than that, Lord, may our lives bring you all glory and praise. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.